Sandy mentioned that we are, have been in the book of Judges, and there are, are a bunch of weird stories in there that maybe we haven't heard. Some of them we've caught a, a, a measure of, or we heard a whisper of, or learned a little bit in, in Sunday school. One of them today, probably so. Maybe this is the guy you've been waiting for, Samson, right? What do you know about him? Ah, big strong guy, right? Mr. Samson, the strong man. The strong man who was actually very weak, right? Uh, Samson gets the most ink out of all of the judges, but I can read through that story and did this week again. And it's really tough to really find a theme aside from the obvious one that we'll, we'll get through. But what, what are you really trying to say to us, God? Um, and you would say, well, you know, it's always do the right thing. Don't be like Samson. Do the right thing and, and things will work well. But there's just so much more to it than that. So I don't even really like that. In fact, we've got Samson over in the New Testament in the Hall of Faith. So evidently, somehow, he's way better than what we read on the pages. So we got to take the judge's story and the New Testament. We got to weave those together. I don't. We got to come up with something better than always do the right thing. Um, do the right thing. A Spike Lee joint. That means Spike Lee was the one who made the movie. Do you remember it? A long time ago. Back in the day when that movie came out, I was kind of into the rap scene. I know that probably changes your perception of me. (laughs) But there was a song, a rap, called Do the Right Thing by Eric B. and Rakim, whom I'm sure you're all well aware of, right? Do the Right Thing, the rap song, was the song for the movie that Spike Lee was coming out called Do the Right Thing. And so I was anticipating the movie coming out. I wanted to see it. Plus, with a, with a movie called Do the Right Thing, you could even squeeze this one by your mom. She'll go for it, right? Dumbest movie I've ever seen in my life. It was just about people going out and going to the mall or buying pizza, eating pizza. It was just a movie about absolutely nothing called Do the Right Thing. I, I just, it was a terrible movie. I wish that I had had that hour and a half back. Story of Samson could sort of be kind of the same way. Samson goes here and Samson goes there. Samson marries her and gets in trouble over here. He's impulsive there. He makes a dumb decision there. (laughs) Over and over and over again, this is just a story about the life of Samson. And you read through it and surely you can say, dude, you should have just made better choices. But it's, again, I'm going to say it, it's... It's so much more than that. And I hope to draw some of that out to you today. One thing we will touch on is Samson's impulsivity. And I know I got you there. Maybe not as bad as Samson, but I know that your flesh is weak while your spirit is willing. And so you've got some impulsivity in there. We'll talk about that. We'll apply. And we will also see God's compassion that Sandy spoke of in the midst of all of those things. So we'll rearrange all of this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. The book of Judges starts that way. It ends that way. And you certainly see Samson that way. 
Everyone does as he sees fit. And when you have that, you have utter chaos. And Samson personifies all of that perfectly. A life of chaos because of his impulsivity. You're going to run into the same thing if you're impulsive too. But you have God on your side as a savior and as a redeemer. We'll see what he does with Samson and we'll see what he can maybe do with you and I when our flesh is weak. Because God in the end uses Samson and ultimately Samson makes the hall of faith in the New Testament. So, the story of Samson and the story of Judges is partly about the failings of people of Israel, but more, it is a story about the greatness of God. So we're first introduced to the birth of Samson. He was a grown man, obviously, when he fought the Philistines who had oppressed the Israelites for some time. So that means, in my estimation, that God pre-planned Samson by 20 plus years. Knew what he was doing. We'll we'll read that here in his birth in just a minute. God knew what he was doing. God knows what he's planning. That means he knows all of Samson's impulsivity. He knows every dumb decision he was going to make. But God has planned. So you bring up this horrible wrestling match between what's planned and what's our choice. And both of those are prominent in this story. God certainly doesn't will anybody to do anything certainly honors our choice, but maybe we can glue those together by saying that God is full of full foreknowledge. And he uses that for your and my benefit and the people of Israel in this. I don't think we're as mindful of God's pre-planning as we should be. And I'm gonna throw that at you today. I hope it sticks And give you permission to give yourself a destiny. But if you're anything like me, you probably struggle with liking yourself enough to really believe you have one. You do. You do. Here's how the scripture starts in chapter 13 of Judges. Again. (laughs) You knew that word was coming, right? Again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. Because you will conceive and give birth to a son. Listen, no razor may be used on his head. Because the boy is to be a Nazarite. All kinds of little whispers and foreshadowing for Christ, right? Set apart to God from birth. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband, told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. 
couple limitations on Samson. No booze, no cut in the hair, stay away from dead stuff. Three things, just do that. It doesn't mean that's for you and I. This isn't trying to say booze is evil. It's not trying to say we all have to stay away from dead things. These were just things placed on Samson so that he could know and understand. And every day of his life, he would be reminded, I'm set apart. All right. You got limitations too. I don't know what they are, but God has in his sovereignty sort of hamstrung each of us in a certain way. As we grow up, there are limitations, trials, and things that you and I have to persevere through all as reminders that we need him and that we're set apart by him. You might be frustrated and frustrated, deal with him every day, but God knows what he's doing. All right, verse 13, or verse 24 of 13, the woman gave birth to a boy named Samson. He grew up and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Manahan Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. Zorah and Eshtal. Eshtal is still a city right there in the foothills of Israel leading down to the Gaza Strip, okay? We're going to see Samson go down to Gaza to the area of the Philistines and do all kinds of dumb stuff. But for this right now, you can see that he is perfectly situated as a barrier between the Philistines and all of Israel. Philistines down on the plain have to go up into the mountains to get to Israel and conquer it, and they got to go right past Samson. And he's a thorn in their flesh all of the time. It's too bad the other Israelites didn't realize it or see it that way. He's perfectly situated. You are perfectly situated as well for what God's destiny and purpose is for you. All right, here we start. Chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, one of the cities of the Philistines. He saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. She's hot. Now go get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among our relatives or among all our people? Do you got to go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her. Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Impulsive decisions and as mom and dad show here, wrong decisions. They were instructed, don't marry outside of Israel. They were instructed. Now by the time Samson comes along, they'd done plenty of that. And that ideal had been eased away, just like so many things God wants us to do today, but our society has just grayed all of that stuff out, and you and I partake in them more than what we want to and should. But God uses it to his advantage and for the advantage of all the other people. Consider how great and graceful God is. God was using it as a time to confront the Philistines, even though it was blatantly wrong. God will do the same in our lives as well. It's Romans 11. 
God has given all men over to disobedience so that he can have mercy on them. Do you understand the depth of that verse? Right after Paul writes that verse, he breaks out into a doxology and says, good grief, who can search to the bottom of God's love? On all his ways, they're beyond searching out. You're never going to understand what he does. And you and I are never going to understand the fullness of his grace and his mercy fully. But hey, let's each day gobble up a little bit more of it. And then you and I might actually believe we've got a destiny or a purpose. And we might start liking ourselves a little bit better. So he went down to Timnah together with his father and his mother as they approached the vineyards of Timnah. Samson, what are you doing in vineyards? You don't belong in there. No booze, no wine, no fruit of the vine. Get out of there. Suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him and the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat, but he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, a dead thing. What are you doing, Samson? And it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave some to them, and they ate it too. But he did not tell them what he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman. Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. All right, that's Samson breaking two rules right there. But yet, the power came over him when he killed the lion. And so we get this uncomfortable picture of God causing the rains to fall on the unrighteous. And don't you kind of box God up and project this idea that God does well to those who do, do well and he punishes those who don't do well? You know, we might say that that's a principle. Goodness knows we can read through the Psalms and the Proverbs and God promises blessing if we're righteous and acknowledges him. He also promises that if we're impulsive and get away from him, that bad things are going to happen out of his love He's going to bring some trials and obstacles into our life to try to woe us back to him. So definitely the principle's there. But God does things on his own timetable in his own unique way. And so you and I might become a little bit uncomfortable with what God does to people who have maybe wronged us. And that's where you and I just got to get over it. He's the one in charge. The vengeance is his, not ours. And you and I have to unpharisee our lives and recognize that God uses impulsivity. Can you do that? You go back into the days of Jesus, the Pharisees were in charge of all things church and all things religious. And because of that, there was a huge, massive condemnation over the people of Israel. You don't know enough about the Bible. You got to come to us to hear and be taught and we'll take care of the God stuff. You got to bring your money up here and money change with us. You got to bring your goat up here 
and we'll check it out to make sure that it's okay so that you can do your sacrifice. You got to do everything through us and through the temple. And they were in charge and it was dark and dreary. And along came Jesus to shake all of that up and they hated him for it. Much like you and I who sit in a church every Sunday, we are uncomfortable like Jonah when God does good things to people that we think are bad. And you got to get over it. We as a church got to get over it, otherwise there's going to be nobody coming in here. We have to unpharisee our lives. We have to. Right now in this story, the Israelites are under 40 years of oppression from the Philistines. The Philistines, who don't know God, have established a stronghold over the people of God. How can this be? How can this be? How do you live every day with knowing that you are one of God's people, covenant people, yet uncovenant people are ruling over you? How do you go to sleep and sleep well at night? How come there's not convictions and and this voice inside of the head that something's wrong? Something's wrong. What's God doing? How can the uncircumcised come in here and have their way with us? We're God's people. The stronghold should be the other way. So God introduces us to Samson. Samson, an impulsive guy to a fault. But somebody needs to be. Because everybody else believes that the Philistines are supposed to be in charge of us. We got to have somebody come along and jar us out of that dumb thinking. Somebody's got to come along who has a fresh thought and can tear the walls down. Somebody? Somebody had to come along and show all of the people that the Pharisees were not leading to green pastures. Somebody does. And that's why God blesses impulsive people. And that's why God uses their fresh thoughts because you and I become Phariseed and dull. Don't we? That's what the story's about. Samson, the strong man who was weak and impulsive and a a laundry list of other things, but God used him because everybody else was dull. I think God looks down and says, I'm not as concerned with the rights and the wrongs as you think. I just want somebody who's alive and willing. I want somebody who's fresh and knows me. Sounds heretical, doesn't it? Well, he did it here with Samson. When do you and I get off the Pharisee chair and just go with God? When do you and I get off the Pharisee chair and break down the strongholds in our life and get some victory? The victory doesn't come on the Pharisee chair. The Pharisee chair is a controlling agent. The Pharisee chair is where we go when things aren't working in our life right. Then we comfort ourselves with all of these Pharisee things. As we're a Pharisee, we look down on others. But we look down on others because things aren't going right in our life, right? So let's get a little Samson on us. Verse 19, then the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who'd explain the riddle. 
Burning with anger, he went to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to a friend who had attended him at his wedding. He married this gal, and it all went wrong. It all went wrong. She betrayed him, but she knew what was coming. But yet God uses it all. He struck down 30 of them men. And with that, Samson is now known in Philistia. And with that, all of Philistia says, well, we're in charge of the Israelites, and that's a good comfort zone, and we want to keep it that way. If only Samson wasn't there. And man, he's right on the border, but it's only going to get worse for them. I'm going to flip over to chapter 15. Samson ties a bunch of foxes together by their tails. He puts torches in their tails, runs them down the hill, down into the Philistine plains, through all of their grain and burns all of their grain up. So (laughs) they come out with all of their army up to the mountains to Israel and they say, where's he at? We're going to get him back for this. Now there's 3,000 of Judah, Israelite's finest, who aren't the finest at all. There are 3,000 men who are cowards, although they are of the army. And they said, hold up. We'll go find him. We'll bring him to you. We, we just want peace. We just want peace. 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock where Samson was. And they said to Samson, listen, friend. Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What are you doing? What are you doing breaking all these strongholds? Just sit tight. Don't touch anything. Everything's peaceful. Mm, That's just stupid. What have you done to us? They ask Samson. Why do you keep stirring it all up? Because somebody needed to. All of Israel... Even the 3,000 finest are just accepting the ruling over the Philistines. So Samson goes with them, and while he's down, they go with him. And as these 3,000 men take Samson to the, the Philistine armies, the Philistine armies see Samson, and they are full of anger, and they rush at him. And as they rush at him, screaming, full of anger, he picks up a jawbone, and by himself, he kills 1,000 of them. God's using it. And in this case, he's the only one. He's the only one. The only one willing to have a fresh spiritual thought. All right, when he had finished speaking, he said this is, he called it jawbone height because of what he did on that mountain. He threw away the jawbone and the place was called Ramoth Lehi, jawbone height. And because he was thirsty, he cried out to the Lord You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die at thirst and fall at the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up a hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakor, which means Caller's Spring. And it's still there in Lehi today. It's still there today. Caller's Spring. This is the first time that Samson, the impulsive, weak man, realizes, hey, I got to start calling on God. Yeah, he gave me power to kill all these Philistines by my own hand, but now I'm thirsty and I'm about to die. And so he calls on God and Samson is in the process of learning, 
I got to call on God for my decision making a little bit more because it's causing a bunch of chaos. So God even takes the impulsive person and runs him on his own journey, using him all of the way. If you got an impulsive son, an impulsive spouse drives you nuts, take a fresh perspective that God loves him, her, just as much as he loves you. If you got a coworker, if you got a president, keep in mind that God loves him or her just as much as you. Keep in mind. That's another way of saying, don't forget that. Because people are looking at you in the same way. And don't you wish they realized that God loved you as much as them? All right, chapter 16 starts with something all brand new. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and he went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson's here. So they surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night saying, at dawn we'll kill him. Why don't you just walk into the house of the prostitute and kill him? Because they're deathly afraid of him by now. They know his power. You know what happens? Samson, the impulsive, fresh thought guy, tears down the stronghold walls, literally. Samson doesn't sleep until dawn. He wakes up in the middle of the night. And he goes to the very gate in the city, which you can still see today. That gate where all of those guards were waiting for him to go. From Gaza, the gate that leads up to the hills of Israel. They're sitting there waiting in the middle of the night. Doesn't really tell us if they're sleeping or what they're doing. But Samson goes to that gate in the middle of the night where those guards are all by himself. And he takes the pillars of the gate. Rips them both out of the ground takes the bar that closed the gate, hefts both of those pillars on his shoulder along with the bar and carries them up into the mountains of Israel on one of the highest parts of Israel so that everybody would know. I can walk right down into those plains that you're deathly afraid of and I can rip the walls right up. How come you guys can't get it? Why are you stuck? Get unstuck. David goes out to where the Philistines and the Israelites are met in battle with the valley between and says, why are you guys just letting this uncircumcised guy scream at you all day? And he goes down with a fresh thought. Somebody has to. I'm just here to say to you today, it is you and can be you, but you've got to start thinking freshly and you've got to start thinking and being open-minded to what God has for you. Your spouse, your kids will help motivate that effort in you. As you might be frustrated with their new ideas, their impulses, go with it for once. You don't have it all figured out. And with our tendency to lock in to ritualistic thinking, 
you and I need to be aware that God's going to speak to us. I'm just going to read it to you. But Samson lay there until the middle of the night, and then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. A little research will tell you that Hebron's about 38 miles away from Gaza. 38 miles he carried that. Not downhill, way uphill. I don't think he went all 38 miles because he went to a hill that overlooked Hebron. But still, nonetheless, this is a powerful man. And Israel, as weak as they were, desperately needed him. I want to submit an idea to you today, friend. You need people. You need other people. Won't you listen to them? Now, I know you have to sort and sift through the wisdom that they're trying to give to you. And certainly, we don't want to be, or we don't want to make the decisions that Samson did that diametrically are opposed to God's will for us. You're able to do that. But when, when do we now Get off the Pharisee seat and be open to what others might say as they speak into our life. I know you know him, and I know that you know her, but don't shoot the messenger because you don't like them. You can let your critics be the unpaid caretakers of your soul. Do it. Kids, mom, dad, they do have it figured out. Listen to them. The book of Proverbs is Solomon crying out to his son. I'm going to pour wisdom into your life, son. Please listen to me. Listen to me. Open up your heart to how God wants to speak to you or you'll be under the oppression of the Philistines in your life. You know the story. Once again, Solomon takes a woman from Philistine, from Philistia, and the Philistine leaders, in an effort to try to undo all this, say, hey, we, we will pay you out our ears if you can figure out the source of his strength. Seven times she put Samson to sleep in her lap, and tried to figure it out by asking him, Samson, you don't even love me anymore. You won't even tell me the source of your strength. And in Samson's impulsivity with women, after seven times, she plied with him day after day after day. He finally told her. And so the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out before and shake myself free just like I did all the other six times. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So they bring him out on display in one of their temples where there were 3,000 prominent Philistine men and women and Samson just said, as a blind man, put me up against one of the pillars of the temple. And he just prayed to God, one more time, God, 
I know I've been so impulsive and made a wreck, but one more time, let me die with the Philistines. And God filled him with strength, and he pushed on the two pillars, and down came the temple, and all in it died that day. And so did Samson. A great story about how God used an impulsive man. It wasn't without the trials and the chaos that come with impulsivity. Hey, you and I can dodge that. And probably are pretty well. But also, the story of Samson is not without a wonderful freshness towards God that you and I probably don't have. Let's pray. God, you've given all men over to disobedience so that you can have mercy on them. That's Samson and that's me. God, I pray that we can dodge the disobedience, that our spirit can overcome our weak flesh. But God, I also pray that on the nights or the days where that doesn't happen, we can reconnect with you. And that in that reconnection, we can just truly feel how fully you are behind us and for us. And the fact that you never leave us. God, there's just no room for shame anymore. There's no room for condemnation anymore. I pray that we quit doing it to ourselves. I also pray that as such, we will be people that don't do it to others. That God... We can live up to what you have destined us for, purposed us for, ultimately join you in heaven for eternity. In your name we pray, amen.